Father, we do uh, just lift up this time, and, and God, I do ask that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, it's one thing to read and study your word and, and try and get that, that understanding, that intellectual understanding, but God, it's a greater thing for it to impact our hearts deep within us. And as I think of John writing this letter and, and just the vision I get, I think here's a man just so desiring for people to be changed and drawn close to the Lord. And I pray that would happen to us, especially as we kind of hit this closing uh, section as he begins to wrap things up. Lord, speak to us. And I know, again, we come from a lot of different places, a lot of different things going on around the world in our lives personally. And God, yet, I know you, as we say, you're still on your throne. You haven't given up your uh, position. So Lord, Draw us into that place where we hear from you today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this morning I was as we were singing that song. Uh, are you redeemed? Yes. Okay, a couple are. Good, that's good. I was hoping more, but it's okay. We got a couple. In life, it says that there are no certain things in life. Well, some people say there are two certain things, death and taxes. But there is another certain thing, isn't there? It's called our salvation. And we are saved. Listen, we can sing we are redeemed, not because we're great people. Maybe you can. I can't sing it because I'm a great person. I have a great God. And I have a God who redeemed me. And so... Listen, John is trying to get that across in this letter. This whole letter is about that. And as he wraps this up, he wants us to have that assurance of our salvation. He wants us to be people that we know, not we know by a certain feeling and not that we know by, by uh, some circumstance, but we know because the Bible says so. The Bible is not true because we believe it, we believe it because it's true. And listen, we have God's word, God's assurance of this thing called salvation. So John's trying to get that across. I know when I prayed, I have a vision. Whenever I read, the, especially the book of 1 John, maybe not so much a gospel of John, but the book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, even maybe Revelation, I get this picture of this really old guy, like even way older than me. Really, really old guy, but full of wisdom. And I get this picture of this guy who has such a desire to see people's lives changed and such a desire for them to walk with the Lord. And, and when I read those, these books, I kind of get a picture of him sitting just, come on, you can do this, believe this, walk in this. And so it's my prayer that it comes across that way to us as we, as we get into this. So John here... In verse 13, he begins to kind of wrap up the letter, and he says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, it's an interesting thing, because John always has a purpose when he's writing. Flip back a couple pages. Flip back, back to chapter 1. Look what he wrote in chapter one, verse four. He says, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. 
So he starts out the letter. We have the bookends, right? He writes that our joy may be full. And then at the end, he's saying, I'm writing to you so that you know that you have eternal life. And we, we have those things. Listen, John's heart is that we would grasp a hold of that and we would understand that. And we would not, listen, we would not let circumstances, emotion, individuals rip that off from us. We have it written in God's word, and it's God's promise. And listen, I think, I, I mean, I could camp in, in, in my heart. I could camp in verse 13 for a long, long, long time. Because here's the thing. When I came to that place where I was convinced that God saved me, and God is going to keep me, and God is going to get me in heaven, I became very confident in my salvation and sharing my salvation. I shared with you guys before, I got into a whole legalistic thing for a while, and uh, I'm not gonna get into the people I listened to that pushed me in that direction, and it was certain Bible teachers, and, and I got into this whole legalistic thing. And the problem with legalism is, number one, you're a jerk. Number two, you're not sure who's going to heaven, and you're pretty sure who's not going to heaven, I might add that, but then you're not even sure you're going to heaven. And you have this struggle the whole time. You're, you're, you're wanting and desiring. When you come to the place where you can know that you're going to heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ because you believed in the name of the Son of God, then you have confidence in your salvation. Then you begin to, to walk the walk that God intends for us to walk. And I think that's important. Now the key here is, he says that you believe in the name of the Son of God. It's, it's again, interesting. Legalists will say, well, that's kind of cheap grace. No, it's not. And they go, anybody can say that. Yeah, anybody can say that, but they don't have the second part. Listen, if you truly believe in the name of the Son of God, then you know that you have eternal life. If you're just going through the motions, you still don't know. But if you truly believe in him, you know that you have uh, eternal life. John, chap John in chapter 20, listen to what he says. At the end of the Gospel of John, Interesting, same guy writing it, right? But these things are written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He wrote the gospel so that people could come to Jesus and gain salvation. He wrote the letter for those who believe that they know that they have salvation. Two different things. One, he's saying, I want you to believe in the name of the Lord so that you can have eternal life. And the second one, he says, listen, you who believe, you can know that you're saved. And he's giving us that confidence. And I guess my question this morning, do you walk in that confidence? Do you have that assurance? If you don't, I think you need to make sure that you're, you're, you believe in his name. And then he says this, listen, he's not done. He says, I want you to believe that you have eternal life and at the end of the verse, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. We're not just supposed to get saved and be kumquats for Christ. We're supposed to be growing, changing, learning. I don't think there's ever a time where a true believer quits learning. I don't think there's ever a time where a true believer quits, well, there is a time when we quit growing, and quit learning. That's when we get to heaven. 
But we're, listen, when we're here, we're always, listen, I want to continue to believe. I want to continue in my faith. Not, I'm not doing it to stay saved. I know I'm saved. I do it because I want to know him. And I want to understand him. And I want to have fellowship with him. And John's encouraging us, listen, he's saying, he's saying we need to keep going. Yes, we believe in the name, but we need to continue to believe in the name, and that should cause us, listen, to grow. Why do we here at Calvary encourage people reading through the Bible every year? Why do we keep pushing that? And I know some of you go, you know, I had that same question. Why do you keep pushing that? Well, we keep pushing it because this. Every time you read your Bible, you're gonna come at it from a different place, different things in your life, and you're gonna learn something. You're gonna change, you're gonna grow. And I think, listen, I think that's vital and that we have Again, every time I go through the Bible, I gain more confidence in who I am in Christ, more confidence in my walk. Listen to, listen to what Paul wrote in Romans. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demons, neither present nor future, neither or, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, you read that and people go, yeah, but what about this? And I'm thinking, I think he covered everything. You know, I think he, I think he kind of made it very plain. And we have that confidence. Or what about Paul at the end of his life? You know, 2 Timothy was one of the last letters he wrote. And at the end of his life, here's what he wrote. He says, that is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed, listen to this, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Yes, yes, we are gonna go to heaven. We are going to have that eternal life with him. Why? Because he gave us the promise. He did the work. And we need to get a hold of that. We need to let that impact our lives. By the way, eternal life isn't just living forever. I don't know if you guys know this. Everyone's gonna live forever. Some people are gonna live forever in his presence. Some people are gonna live forever in his wrath. But everyone's gonna live forever. So eternal life isn't just longevity. Eternal life is quality with him, enjoying him. And I don't think we should wait to heaven to do that. Shouldn't we enjoy him now? Shouldn't we like grasp a hold and walk with him and enjoy him and get all we can get now? I, I like to share this too. Do you know this is the only time in all of eternity that we can walk by faith? When you get to heaven, you're gonna see him. You don't have to walk by faith. You walk by, fight, by sight or fight. But man, right now, by faith, we can have that relationship and we can enjoy him, we can trust him, we can test him. I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a rebel at heart. And I kind of like the idea of testing God. Not in the, not in the sense of, I want to see how far I can get close to sin to test him. I want to test him in areas like, hey God, you said this, let's check this out. Let's see, let's see if that's really gonna happen. Now listen, I'm not gonna jump in front of a truck to see if he's gonna save me or not today. But you know what I'm talking about? We, this should be a phenomenal experience as we walk with God. And every day, I believe every day, 
should be those challenges, those victories, even some setbacks, because if we don't have setbacks, we're not gonna have victories, and it means probably we're not trying. So let's do that. Listen, so he writes this, he wants us to know. He wants you to know, he wants me to know. Hey, I've written this so that you can know that you have eternal life. Now that he's talked about that and we have that confidence, he's gonna shift into this idea of, of prayer and an adequate prayer life. And I think, I think what he's wanting us to do is he's wanting us to understand prayer's important in this thing called Christianity. But as we do that, we also need to know God is involved in our lives as much as we want to be involved in his life. So listen to what he says here. He tells us that, that in verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Wow. I think that's pretty powerful. I love that idea that I have confidence. Listen, I can have confidence in my prayer life. Why? Because here's what the Bible tells me. If I ask anything in his, according to his will, he hears me. And here's what I know. If God hears me, he's gonna give me the correct answer. May not be the answer I want, and I may not even see the answer. Listen, I think there are times where our prayers are answered and we never even see the answer. Because listen, it's not, it's not about us. Do you know that? The world does not revolve around you. It's about him. And so, how do we have an effective prayer life? Again, this is not about you get anything you want from God. God is not a genie in heaven, although many people treat him that way, and I can ask him for this, and he has to do this, and he has to do that. No, how do, how, how do I really have an effective prayer life? Well, I think number one, to have an effective prayer life, this is pretty simple, because I'm very simple. Number one, you gotta pray. Some of you are going, well, duh. Isn't that one of the hardest things to do as a Christian? Not pray when you're freaked out. I'm talking about just having a prayer time. Having that time where, that's hard. I, maybe, maybe some people don't, that's hard. You gotta fight for it. We got an enemy of our souls who definitely don't, doesn't want us to do it, but to have a true effective prayer life, you gotta hang out, you gotta fight for it, and you gotta do it. So number one, you have to, you gotta, you gotta pray. Number two is what he's telling us here. If we want to have an effective prayer life, here's what he says. You have, to, you, you, you have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will. That's where, it gets, that's where it gets, I think, very technical. We need to understand, we don't just ask God, you know, I think we can ask God for everything, but we need to pray according to his will. Now, some people tell me this. I can't figure out what God's will is. And I tell them this. That's because he's hidden it from you. And he doesn't want you to know. And he's made it the most difficult thing in the world. Well, if God tells us I have to pray according to his will, obviously he's choosing to reveal his will to me. How's he gonna do that? Through his word. Not, listen, not through experience, not through, you know, conferences, although conferences are good, we just went to one, it's good. Not through, you know, outside reading material, although that can help. Saints, get in his word. 
His will is revealed in his word. His specific will or his general will is revealed in his word. As I get familiar with his general will and I begin to walk in that and pray in that, God then begins to reveal to me, for me or for you, specifics. And he begins to open that up. But I don't think he's ever gonna open that up if you're not in his word and his general will. So this isn't a blank check. It always bothers me when, when people kind of get into this, well, if I ask according to his name and, or according to his will, so here's what we do. Lord, I know this is according to your will, and then we fill in the blank. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not giving us magical incantations. He's, not, he's saying you need to get your, your heart in that place where you're functioning in his will and walking in his will. And then, listen, then we have confidence in prayer. Now, a couple scriptures kind of came to mind. Proverbs 10, listen to what Proverbs 10 says. The, with what the wicked deeds, or I'm sorry, what the wicked deeds will overtake him, uh, what the righteous desire will be granted. So again, he's talking about prayer, but here's what he's saying. When we are righteous, our desires will be granted when we're walking with him. And then in Romans 8, 26, it says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that cannot be expressed. I love that. Listen, I love that verse. That verse is not talking about praying in tongues or speaking in tongues. What that verse is talking about is when you can't even think to what to express, the Spirit gets it across. And I think it goes a little bit further. I believe in my heart, I believe the Spirit interprets everything I pray for. Because I'm a doof. And I, I think even sometimes the Spirit like holds his hands over the Father's ears. Don't listen for a minute, Pat's praying. And then I get done, and then he goes, here's what he really meant. Here's what he really wants. And listen, I, I, believe, I believe the Spirit helps us out there because, because we are human. We have emotion. And the Spirit, listen, the Spirit knows exactly what we need. And even when, listen, even when we're in a place, sometimes we're going through something so painful, we don't even know. And I'm not talking about physical, emotional pain, spiritual pain. We don't even know what to pray. The Spirit does. So how do I have an effective prayer life? Well, number one, I get in the Father's will and understand his will and allow that to happen. Then number two is, is I, I yield myself to the Spirit and allow him to pray. And then listen, and then I think we should, we should pray. I, I, believe, I believe we should ask God for everything. I love talking to God. I ask him sometimes, hey, what socks should I wear? Robert Furl and I are good friends. I think I've mentioned that before. And, and we have so many, you know what? We're, we love each other, but we have so many disagreements. And it's fun, right? It's fun to disagree with somebody you can have fun with. And I'll tell him that. Hey, Robert, I asked God this morning what socks to put on. Why would you bother him with that? That's what Robert said. Why would you bother? Don't you think God's got bigger things to do? And I go, no. I think he cares about me. I think he cares about every detail of my life. Oh, come on. You think he really cares what color your socks are? Yeah, I do. My wife does. <laughs> Why wouldn't God? God doesn't, listen, God doesn't want me to like, look like a dork. 
So listen, I think he cares. So, and and I, know, I know we're kind of having fun with it, but do you get my point? I can't remember this quote quite right, but I think one time a lady asked like Spurgeon, one of the, one of the old British guys that are always so formal, and they go, well, you know, should I, should I bother God with little things? And in a typical British fashion, madam, can you think of anything too large for God? Think about it, right? We say, hey, everything in our life is like this to God, so why wouldn't we bring up the little things? And so I, I believe, listen, we should be people, we are praying, we are talking to God, we're fellowshipping with God. That's an effective prayer life. Oh, and then in verse 15, and we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Once again, that's based on praying according to his will. It's not a name it and claim it. It's not a you can make God do certain things. The whole point of prayer is to get us in line with God, not him in line with our agenda. Our agenda, most of the time, is not a good agenda. And we need to get in line with him. I know, I've, I've brought this up before, I know we were out on Hereford Road, the church was out on Hereford Road, I wanted to move into town, and I wanted to move into town mainly for youth ministry because they had a hard time getting out to the church out there, and I just had this burden to get into town, and I would see property, and I'd say, God, that property, we need that property right now, you gotta move, you gotta move, and some deals came and fell through and didn't work out, and I would get so upset with God but then he gave us this property, and it was the perfect place. And we need to know, listen, according to his will. And hey, he, he's not saying in verse 15 that you know whatever we ask for, we're gonna get. When we ask according to his will, don't misuse, it always bothers me when someone will take like verse 15 out of context and say, okay, the Bible says that if we know that he hears us, that whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we ask for, so God has to do it. Most of us know from just experience, God doesn't have to do it, right? But, and here's the other thing, there are times that I believe God hears every prayer. I believe he answers every prayer. Most of the time, it's no. And we don't like no any more than a little kid, right? A little kid asks you something, no. Why? Because they said so. Why? Because I'm bigger than you, that's why. Why? I'm gonna beat you up, why? <laughs> right? Listen, and we're just, we're kinda like that. God says, you can't have that. Why? Because they said so. But I want it. Well, it's not gonna be good for you, and if I gave it to you right now, it will ruin your dinner, right? Kind of type thing. So listen, God, God's not obligated, and don't misuse scriptures. You know there's one scripture that, that I think gets misused when we're talking about that. In Isaiah 55, it says this, so is my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. A lot of people say that proves that if you give out the word of God, people have to get saved. That's not what that text is saying. The text is saying God's word's effective, and we need to know that. God's word is gonna be effective in hearts of individuals in different ways, and we need to know that. The same thing here. He's not saying we get everything we ask for, and again, most of us know that from experience, but most of us are mad at God over it. You need to understand, when you have an effective prayer life, that means you're sitting with him. That means you're letting him guide. And 
I gotta be honest, I don't know if you guys are like me. I think I spend way too much time in my prayer time talking instead of listening. We tend to, like we got our list, right? Here's my list, and we start praying, and then we're done. Done, God, bye. Oh, I wanted to say something to you. Sorry, time's up. Busy day today. So slow down a little bit in your prayer time, too, and listen a little bit. It's supposed to be a communication going on. Now, I've been kind of stalling, because 16 and 17 are kind of difficult, and stay with me. Don't read ahead. Oh, you guys look down and start reading right away. Don't do that. We'll get there. But listen, it's kind of it's like, again, John writes some things I wish, I, I want a black highlighter. Just like, okay. And sometimes when he writes them, I'm thinking, you know what you were talking about. The people you were writing to know what you were talking about, but we don't have a clue. And it makes it difficult, John. And sometimes even, even when I'm praying, I'll go, I'll, I'll talk to the Lord and I'll go, seriously, you want me to teach through that? Like, I don't understand it. And then you get brainiacs, and the brainiacs go, I don't understand it. And I'm thinking, if they don't understand it, I'm surely not going to understand it. So what is this all about? So verse 16, we're only going to read part of it, so don't get ahead. He says in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will, be, and, and he will give him life. For those who commit sins not leading to death. Stop right there. And that's kind of simple, isn't it? If you see your brother sinning, what are you supposed to do? Well, the first thing you do is you get on Facebook and you post about that brother's sin. Or you call people. Or you start texting everybody. Oh, let's text it down the prayer chain. No, what does he say we're supposed to do? Pray. Pray for that individual. I believe, listen, I believe we're accountable to each other. And I think that's important. And I think we should hold each other accountable. But don't you dare hold somebody accountable until you've prayed for them. If you haven't prayed for them, you're not loving them. You're not in that place. And here's what he says. When you see a brother sinning a sin that does not lead to death, we're gonna get to that in a moment, pray for them. Pray that God would restore him. Pray that, you know, I, I, think, I think prayer is even more important than confrontation because you're taking him to that throne. You're bringing him to that place. And here's what I found in my life. The Holy Spirit is a much better convicting machine than I am. He has not relinquished his position and said, hey, Pat, would you go around convicting everybody for me? The Holy Spirit does it. So lift that individual up in prayer and lift them up to the throne and lift their situation up to the throne. So he says, we have an obligation. Again, talking about, what's he talking about? Effective prayer life. So we have an obligation to do that to brothers and sisters in the Lord. And especially, I think especially, especially those that maybe even don't like. Hmm. That's a difficult one, right? Because sometimes when we pray for them, we pray like, I can't remember which psalm it is, but have them removed from their place kind of type thing. Pray that God would work in them. Now, that's for sins not leading to death. Now he says this. This is where it bugs me. Then he says this. There is sin, and some of your translations may have a sin. A's not there. The definite article's not there. 
So here's what he says. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Now I read that and I go, seriously? Like, why do you even bring that? Here's, here's my heart, here's my heart. Why would he even bring that up? Because number one, I don't know what he's talking about. What is sin that leads to death? My Bible says all sin leads to death. What, is it, what does it say? The wages of sin is life most of the time, death some of the time? No, it says death. So I'm reading that and I'm going, John, 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 why would you write that? Why, just, why didn't you just leave that part out? Just, why didn't you just, why didn't you just say, wouldn't it be simpler to just say, if you see your brother sinning, pray for him? Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? But no, he's got to throw this in there and this whole thing about sin not leading to death, sin leading to death. Now, verse 17, I want, I want to read it. Verse 17 says, all unrighteousness is sin and there is, there is sin not leading to death. So he's not, listen, he's not denying that sin is sin. Oh, and by the way, this is probably where the Catholic Church gets its doctrine of venial sins and mortal sins. Once again, that's not a, that's not a biblical doctrine. All sins are mortal sins. You can't, you, there's, there's not this greater sin and lesser sin. Now some of you are going, sounds like that's what John's saying. I don't think that's what he's saying. So I'm reading this, I pray about it, I do an inductive study on it, I go through everything I can in my own and here's what I come up with. I don't know. Like, what on earth is he talking about? I mean, you try and cross-reference, and we'll do some of that in a moment. And then, so then I go to the scholars, Greek scholars, you know, guys who are linguists, guys who know what they're doing, and here's what they say. I don't know what he's talking about. I'm convinced the people he wrote to knew exactly what he was talking about. Some say he's talking about the sin that's unpardonable, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus brings up and that somebody has crossed that line where they're, they're, they have so rejected Christ they're not gonna be saved. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. You cross that line. Well, I gotta tell you something. I don't think we should ever stop praying for people. You and I don't know a person's heart. We don't know if they've crossed that line. And I'm surely not gonna go, well, I'm gonna pray for them for 10 years. If they don't get saved, then they've committed sin that leads to death. I'm not gonna pray for them anymore. So I think that's, a, I, I'm not sure that's what he's talking about. Now, there is some scripture support that we have in, in, uh, in, in Acts. Most of us know the story, right? Acts chapter five, verses one through 11. Ananias and, and Sapphira, his wife, right? Most of us know that story. I love that story. I love reading it, not because, because I like to watch people die, but I just like the way the whole thing is worded, you know, and, and the whole idea that, listen, they weren't, some people teach that they were, they were you know, offed because they were uh, not giving enough. That's not, that's not the point. The point is they were hypocrites and they were lying and they were trying to put on a front. But I love the idea because they come up to Peter and he goes, Here's everything we got for our property. Remember, they sold some property and they kept back some, which was perfectly fine. But they want to look spiritual. Here's everything we have. And Peter goes, that's everything? And then Ananias goes, yep, poof, he dies. The ushers come up front. 
roll them up in a rug like a burrito, and they carry him out, and away he goes. And then his wife comes in, and I got to wonder, why didn't she say, where's Ananias? She comes in, and she, Peter says, did you give everything? Yep, we gave everything. You sure? Yep. She dies. Well, before she dies, though, he says, listen, the footsteps of the men who carried out your husband are going to come and wrap you up like a burrito, and you're going to go out, and I mean, obviously that was sin leading to death, Right? Yeah, but now someone's going, oh my gosh, if I'm a hypocrite, am I going to get killed? I don't know. And then the other one is in Corinthians, and, and, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and he writes this, for this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now here's, here's, here's my point. I think Ananias and Sapphira were, were believers. I think they were believers. They just blew it bad. I think the Church, the people Paul's writing about are believers. Remember the beginning of this. If you see a brother sinning, he's talking about brothers. He's not talking about unbelievers because I don't think we should ever stop praying for unbelievers. That's just my heart. If we give up on them, man, who's gonna, who's gonna bring them before the throne? So listen, and so here's what he's saying. I think, I think there's times, and this might sound kind of weird to you, but I think there's times where God looks at some of us and he goes, no. I'm taking you home because you're gonna mess things up so bad. So how do we, what is he saying don't pray for them? Maybe he's saying don't pray for the dead. He could be going that direction. I don't know. Those are some thoughts and ideas out there of what he's talking about. Now listen, it's not the, it's not the this isn't the only place that God talks about not praying in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter seven, Jeremiah chapter 11, Jeremiah chapter 14, three times God tells Jeremiah to quit praying. You know what that tells me? Every time he told him Jeremiah kept praying because God would say, don't pray for these people and Jeremiah would pray for the people. And then a few chapters later, don't pray for these people. Jeremiah would pray for the people. A few chapters later, don't pray for these people. Jeremiah would pray for the people. God finally give up, quit telling him not to pray. But it's not, listen, it's not unusual. It's not totally abnormal. I, for one, am not gonna take a position where I'm gonna quit praying for people until they're dead. I'm not gonna pray for the dead. But I'm never gonna give up on people. And I don't want any of us going, hmm, looks like they're sinning, but that might be a sin leading to death, so I'm not gonna pray for them. Right? That's why I don't like this. I, don't, I, don't, I gotta be honest. And this isn't, this isn't like being horrible. I just, this just bugs me. It bugs me because sometimes we take things out of context and make excuses for not being godly people. I'm gonna pray for everybody. And, you know, if somebody comes to me, even I told the story last week or week before, I had these JWs at the house, and one of them told me I couldn't pray for his friend, and I went, you can't tell me how to pray. And he goes, yes, I can. I go, no, you can't. Watch, I'll pray right now. <laughs> so I think, so don't, don't get it in your heart, and don't read this scripture and go, oh, okay, I'm not gonna pray for certain people. They're off my list. Like, don't get your prayer list out right now and start going, Pray. Let's have effective prayer. 
Oh, and one more thing. He does say all sin is unrighteousness, or, and we need to know that. Don't cover up your sin. Don't try and ignore your sin. That's the worst thing you can do. Personally, the Bible says confess your sin, and he will forgive you. So don't try and, don't try and you know, tame it. Don't try and fix it with verbs or with verbiage and stuff. Just confess your sin. So what is John telling us? We can have confidence in our salvation and we can have confidence in our prayer. Why? Because the Bible says so. And because we have a relationship with the one who is seated on the throne. Hallelujah. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do, I thank you so much, God, for your for your word, I thank you for your challenge that you've given us. And, and Lord, I do pray. I pray that as we, as we think about this, I, I'm praying that today, maybe some came in kind of struggling and in a place where, where Satan is just beating them up or the world is beating them up or life is beating them up. And they walked in and today they heard the truth and the reality that if you believe in the Son of God, you do have eternal life. And we can trust that and count on that. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for writing that down. And then thank you that we can have confidence that our God hears us when we ask according to his word. Take us here in this fellowship and make us into the men and women of God that, Lord, that you see us as. Give us hearts that are so close to your heart that we can affect our world with change. Be glorified in us, I pray. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a couple, couple more minutes. And if you are here today and we started talking about all this and listen, maybe you're here today and you do not know that you have eternal life. You're not sure of that. And even maybe you've come to the church for a long time and you're not sure of it. Well, you know what? Right now, you can make sure of it. You can, you can get that surety. All you have to do is let God know that you know you're a sinner. That's where it all starts. You gotta be honest with God. And it's not, it, listen, it's not, it's not knowledge for him. It's that you come to that right place where you realize, yes, I am a sinner. And you're sorry for your sin because you've sinned against a holy and righteous God. That's where that's where it all has to start in your heart. So if you've never come to that place, you've never been honest with God, right now is the time to tell him and to let him know. The Bible says because we have offended a holy, righteous God that what we deserve is that wrath. When I talked earlier, the eternal wrath of God, that's what we deserve. That's all bad news. The good news is Jesus came, went to the cross, paid the price, he took the wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserve upon himself, and now today, listen, today he says, here, you can have eternal life. I paid for your sin. And all you have to do is take that from him. As simple as John put it, believe in the name of the Son of God, and you will know that you have eternal life. So if you wanna do that, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, and hey, You can say this prayer silently or you can say it out loud. Volume doesn't matter, but your heart matters. You've gotta be sincere. If you're watching online, you can say it there in your home. You don't have to be here. 
And hey, if you're backslidden, man, come home. If you're backslidden, you came to church for a reason. You walked through those doors for a reason. And now, listen, you need to, you, you need to know God wants you to come home. Come back, his arms are open wide. So say this prayer with me. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you this morning for your forgiveness. And right now I want you to come into my heart and change me, God. Come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.